Hi, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. I'm yeah? okay. What's going on? Yeah. How are you? I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Fine and okay. Mm-hmm. What's going on with mm-hmm. you? <clears throat> well, I'm just sitting here. I, uh, I'm lucky enough to have gotten a fairly good night's sleep last night, so sort of reveling in that feeling and you know lately see i'm staying here at the uh, at the home of my daughter's mother chateau daughter mother yep i have been here for several weeks now <clears throat> and my sister um in the last six months my sister took a trip to cuba and then she went to ethiopia and you know what a popular thing to bring back from both those countries is as a gift mm-hmm. right mm-hmm well, what, what, what would you say was the, the first gift? <clears throat> As in like a gift to yourself? No, no, no. Like here comes Susan. She's back from her trip. She no. opens up her bag. T-shirt hey, I got that you. Says, I, I went to this awesome place and all I brought, got was this uh, crummy t-shirt. No, no, oh. no. She's more practical than that. No, what she brought back from Cuba and Ethiopia. I know cigars, there are some listeners. Cigars from Cuba and I don't know what from Ethiopia. No, Ethiopia is not famous for cigars. No. No, coffee from both places. Oh, Cuban coffee, of course. Roasted coffee and then Ethiopian coffee. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've been drinking this because we got, you know, we we have a profusion of coffee brought back from foreign places. But I'll tell you what, I've never really liked Ethiopian coffee. It's too fruity. And I mean that in the sense of the taste of it. I don't want a fruity coffee. I want a robust coffee. These are words that we use to describe coffees. Robust. <laughs> C- C- Cuban coffee I like, but we've been drinking Ethiopian coffee here. And um, Have you been to so Cuba? I have been to Cuba, yeah. Did you I've have been to coffee Ethiopia. there? I did. Was it the same as what you get here when, when they call it Cuban coffee? Cuban coffee, if you drink it, as prepared for your your um, actual Cuban working person, right, is so astonishing. It's just a little cup of coffee. I mean, I've had coffee all over, and I've had little cups of coffee all over. When someone serves you a little cup of coffee, you're like, uh huh, all right, we'll see where you're coming from. But a little cup of coffee in Cuba, which cost the equivalent, because I was, you know, when you're in the tourist area in Cuba, which is funny to say that there would be, but they're, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to have, have tourists and they have a, they have a separate kind of money in Cuba for foreign visitors. So there's the, the fancy money, which has a lot less buying power actually than the local money. Although local money cannot be used to buy fancy things. You get me? Totally. Fancy things are only priced in fancy money. Right. There's not a ton of fancy things in Cuba, but, you know, a hotel and a downtown and a fancy dinner. Like, you can only buy it with the kind of shiny money. Mm -hmm. And then the regular money, like I as a... Americans shouldn't have even ever had any regular money in my hand. They should all, everybody I encountered should have been vigilant. 
but I, I got out into the countryside and I was in places where there weren't, where there wasn't any fancy money because there weren't supposed to be any, they hadn't planned for any normals. It's not like you were forbidden, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I didn't, I, when I just said normals, I didn't mean that I meant Americans. Well, they definitely hadn't planned for Americans, but even Canadians and Swedes who they were planning for. Anyway, I had one of these cups of coffee, <coughs> which cost the equivalent of three cents. Yeah. And it absolutely blew the top off of my head. Like I was, <laughs> I was on drugs, like powerful drugs. Like I'd never had that experience on coffee and it was profound and wonderful. I didn't want to leave this. And it was just some little shack and the person there was preparing each cup of coffee, you know, with this sort of not quite Japanese tea ceremony, but like, and uh, all the, all the brewing materials were all kind of crafted out of old aircraft parts. But boy, I think about that cup of coffee a lot. I've had, anyway. uh, I've had Cuban coffee in Miami mm. uh, where mm. it was prepared in a little Cuban shack by Cuban people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm curious if that's why I was asking because I'm not, I mean, I would assume with the large Cuban population that was, is and was in Miami at the time that I was there, that it would have been pretty authentic. But I, I of course, have never been to Cuba, so I can't, I can't really compare to what you got there. But like with, with Korean food, when I was in South Korea uh, and, and ate there many, many times at many homes and restaurants, it's exactly the same as what, what I was able to get here in the States at a true Korean, not one of these like fancy, you know, Korean fusion restaurants where it's like someone else's interpretation of what they had when they went to South Korea 10 years ago and they're, you know, jamming it up, mixing a kimchi on a hamburger and calling it Cuban, you know, calling it, uh, not Cuban, calling it Korean. Uh, it was very, 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 very similar. And so that's what I'm curious about is like, can, can we get that same kind of coffee that you're reminiscing about? Can we get that here? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not sure. I think you need the, I think you need it to be made out of aircraft parts and nobody here would do that. (laughs) Yeah. So this morning I found in the back of the cupboard, some coffee that had been pushed to the side to make room for all this Ethiopian coffee. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, we've only been drinking Ethiopian coffee because my daughter's mother has this new coffee and she's excited about it. But there's actual old coffee back here Mm. that despite its oldness, I do not, I do not, uh, I do not mind because it has robustness. And now I'm drinking a robust cup of coffee, and I'm very glad. Oh, it's, there's no fruitiness in it at all. It tastes like, mm. oh, wait a minute. No, there is a little fruitiness in it. There, was some, there were some grounds in the bottom of the coffee grinder that I put in. I mixed them. Damn, oh, it's a you're, a mi- you're a mixer, huh? No, no, I, they, were, they were just there, and I didn't want to waste them. So there is a touch of fruitiness, but at least it's balanced by robustness. So that's where I'm coming from this morning. All right. Well, got a, got a little sleep. I've got some robust coffee. I had a pretty bad couple of days. Yeah, it sounds like something's on your mind. I'm very curious to hear it. 
Well, you know, you and our listeners have been following along my house buying saga. I didn't know if it was okay to ask or not. Well, of course, of course it's not, um, nothing's off limits, but, um, but it hasn't been going well. It, it definitely hasn't been going the way I intend or the way I imagined. And that imagined result, I wasn't just like, Hey, I, you know, I glued two sticks together and it's worth a million dollars. Like I had a, I had a sense of (coughs) the market. I thought, yeah, but it turns out my sense of the market was not accurate. And we're not talking about differences of millions, but we are talking about differences in tens of thousands of dollars between what I thought the house would sell for and what it appears to be worth to people in the market. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is that I expected the price of the house to be driven up by by, um, competition, uh, which it hasn't been. There has not been a, a ton of competition. And that has thrown all of my best laid plans awry. But uh, in the last few days, you know, I've also felt pretty hemmed in. I, I don't have a place to live that belongs to me. I don't have any privacy. And um, depending on how you look at it, the last several years have been kind of hard for me. And if you really want to look at it, uh, the last 10 years mm. have been pretty bumpy. Um, and so part of like my dream for this year was, um, was that, uh, the, a lot of these problems were going to be resolved. I was going to have a new place to live, some new income, and I was, uh, you know, and it's a fantasy, right? It's my dad used to call it a, uh, a geographical cure. Geographical cure. Yeah. You've got some, it's the, it's the impulse to run, right? You've got, you've, something's going wrong. Your life is bad. Uh, and so you decide you got to move to Florida or you're going to, you know, you're going to cure your problem by moving geographically. Right. Um, and that's, that's, um, but that's not entirely what's going on. Um, you know, I'm also doing better, uh, by trying to monetize my shows and I'm, you know, I feel, um, I feel like I'm, I'm doing okay. Like I'm, uh, I, like my prognosis is good, mm-hmm. but a lot of it depended on me being able to, to execute this move. Well, this past week I've felt that it's all kind of weighing me down, weighing me down in a way that felt familiar mm-hmm. and, and unwelcome. And as the week wore on, uh, you know, Monday to by, by, by Monday I was feeling and, and realized I was feeling the familiar feeling of, of depression. Really? And I hadn't felt it since 
late 2015 when I first started. The new medicine, right? Medicine. Right. Um, and it was, uh, it was, I mean, you know, I've, I've posted a couple of things online where I've been like super bummed, not doing so good. And I get all the well-meaning, like, are you okay? Kind of replies. And I'm always surprised by it because, you know, I kind of, I, I, I put a version of myself online and, you know, and I, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm in a dark mood and I'm like, things aren't going so well. And something has changed in me in the last 10 years where in the past I never would have, if I'd bumped into somebody on the street and they'd said, how's it going? I would have said fine. And they would have said, you don't look fine. <laughs> and I would say, well, you know, there's, a, I cannot account for my present self putting his feelings on the internet in any way, shape or form. It just isn't, um, isn't how I would have done before. But now, you know, I'm feeling sad. I'm sitting there, blah. Yeah. And I say, I'm feeling blah. And I put a picture online and you generally, they are, uh, selfies. When I'm feeling bad, I take selfies. Selfies to me are not like, yay, check me out. They're always like, ugh. So, so if I see a <coughs> selfie from you on Instagram, that means you're feeling bad a little bit? A little, yeah. Okay. And I, definitely right. if you see a selfie from me where I'm just kind of staring directly into the camera with a with a impassive face. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a that's some way, some version uh that I have of like ugh. But I'm but I'm I'll never get used to receiving are you okay messages from people because I'm not a cry for help person. I'm not putting that up there. It's very weird because when I look at it on the face of things, sure. Why would you put a picture of yourself and say, I'm feeling bad if you weren't soliciting sympathy and offers of help and and declarations of love from far away, like, we love you, don't feel bad. Like, why would you do it otherwise? Yeah. But, of course, when I, when I, I do it because, I don't know, I'm, I broadcast, right? I'm broadcasting. And, yeah. And I'm a broadcaster. And I'm not, I do not want to be asked if I'm okay or to be told that everything's fine or that it's going to be better. Like I find all that very, you know, people are always saying like, Oh, I didn't want to intrude or, you know, I wouldn't come up to you in a restaurant or I respect your privacy and all this stuff about, I didn't want to repost your house thing because I didn't sure. want to intrude on your privacy. And my feeling about all that stuff is like, what do you mean? Of course, repost my house and come up to me in a restaurant and say hello. But of all those things, the thing that feels most intrusive to me and most like it makes me the most uncomfortable is if somebody says, are you okay when I post something? Are you okay? I just feel like, what? How dare you? And it's, and it's weird because I understand the currency of the internet for most people is that. You know, I go on Facebook and there are people that are like, blah, blah, blah. And then a bunch of people are like, oh, we love you. Are you okay? Oh, we love you. And I just go, gross. 
do you like, but do you gross. Are, do you fault the people for wondering because I think that the status quo right now is if if you post something like that then I think the normal the normal thing that people are wanting when they post it is to get that kind of response like are you okay they're I'm not saying they're doing it to get attention I'm saying they're doing it because perhaps they want they want to engage with other people to talk about what's going on for them I don't know. I mean, I feel like they're doing it for attention or engage with other people. Maybe. I mean, there are a lot of people for whom social media is a equation of about 150 to 200 people, mm-hmm. right? The people yeah. that, that follow them, that they, uh, that they are friends with, that know them personally. And so social media feels very intimate to them. And I, I and I, I, you see that, um, you see that in, in that kind of, a familiarity that people have with one another. It's not just that that everybody's a kook and they think that Patton Oswalt is their friend. It's that <laughs> they have 150 friends that they know personally, and then they follow about 50 more interesting people that they think are interesting. And so their timeline is made up of people that they know and these few other people that that over time they feel like they also know. And, you know, especially with podcasting and whatnot, you know, you develop a real intimacy with people. Sure. But, but for me, like, I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody for doing it. I, I see that it's the lingua franca yeah. of the internet, but I don't, I don't want anything to do with that game. I would never put something about, you know, like if I got cancer and I went online and said, I have cancer. Yeah. And and it's fucking me up. I would, I'm doing that, I guess, in part because I feel obligated to people that follow along with me, but also like, I'm, I'm like, transparency is a big part of what I have evolved into being. Like when David Bowie died and you realized, oh man, he's, he knew that he was dying for a long time mm-hmm. and he did all this work to, to go out like on his own terms and, and creatively and compassionately. But he also like really kept that secret because he didn't want to get a bunch of, are you okay? Mm-hmm. He definitely did not want to be celebrated or feted in an embarrassing way while he was still alive. He did not want to go to Madison square garden and have a funeral for himself. And I was like, hat tip, sir. But, but somehow, you know, my, my public life, my performative style has become very connected to the idea that, I'm putting all my cards on the table for the most part. Right. Here's what's going on with me. Here's where I, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's where I'm at. And it's not, believe me, it's not all the cards, right? I, I, I hold a lot of stuff back, but it's stuff that I feel like isn't salient or also is dangerous for me to reveal. But something like, oh, I have cancer. That would be salient, to you know everything anybody that's listening to a program that I do would want to would I mean that's like that would be part of my 
new identity. But that sympathy, the, 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 the weird kind of, um, the obligation of sympathy, that thing on, on Facebook where you're like, do I, f-? you know, it used to be like, do I like this? The person's talking about something terrible. Their dog died or whatever. And then Facebook came up with a way that you could sad like it <laughs> right. or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now you look at all these options and you're like, oh, sad like, happy like, love eyes like. Which right, because like if, like- someone, if someone says, oh, my dog just died, you're, you, you want to show them that you've you're responding to it and if the only option is the little like button then it's like i like that your dog died dude how awesome is that and and the thing is i will click like on people's emotional posts if having read it it helped me understand them or helped me understand myself or moved the ball down the line um there are a lot of posts where somebody's just like i'm having a hard time and and uh, it's really hard, you guys. And I need a, I need a thousand dollars right now. You know where it's just like, uh, mm, not really, man. Not not really gonna engage with this. But anyway, I I I understand that that my difficulty to square these universes is has more to do with me than the culture on the internet, like. That's what people seem to like. That's the language of their exchange. And if they say, I'm having a bad day, and they get a bunch of people say, oh, man, you know, it's okay. Like, you're going to be fine. Like, are you okay? That that is comforting to them. Or that feels like caring. Or that makes them feel uh, more stitched into the world. But... But I recognized in myself this this kind of feeling of revulsion. Mm, revulsion. And, and I, yeah, and I did get a couple. I posted that, and I got a couple of of texts from people, friends, who are like, "What's going on? Are you all right?" And it's like, "Well, yeah, of course I am." Like, and I think part of it is, I don't know, this sort of generalized mental health. Uh, Concern trolling that's happening in the world today where anybody that says they're feeling sad, you kind of have to, people feel obligated to respond to them as though they're potentially suicidal or, you know, like, like you, nobody wants to be surprised by something. So everybody, I guess overreacts, but then there are also a lot of people that are overreacting to their own mental illness. It's just, we're in, we're in a culture now where there's a lot more awareness of mental illness without much more insight into it yeah right so 30 years ago people would have been embarrassed or shy to say i'm depressed right Um, it would have had a stigma associated with it and a lot of negativity right and so we've made a lot of progress culturally in terms of getting to the point where you can say i'm you know i'm suffering from a mental illness of some kind but we haven't made a lot of progress in terms of what that exactly means. We don't, because it means a different thing every time. We don't know how much to integrate those things into our personality, me, myself included. We mm-hmm. don't know how medicine, what, what role medicine plays in it. It's a giant jumble. Um, it's gotten mental illness and, uh, and uh, I don't know, just emotional 
problems have have joined the public space in this in this giant identity conversation that we're having where they're being treated by people as equivalent to other things which they are not equivalent to like we live in a world of false equivalency right where the fact that um you know the fact that you like video games does not put you on par with Martin Luther King right in terms of like how how you are uh how you perceive yourself to be discriminated against yeah. in the world. Yeah. Right. Just, just because you prefer DC to Marvel does not mean that you are a freedom writer, mm-hmm. uh, but people really, people really do seem to, I mean, their, their worlds are small enough that, that they do feel that way. They feel that persecuted because persecution has become a kind of food. But so we have this, you know, I get these, are you okay? Things and I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking okay. Are you kidding me? I could walk to New York City right now eating one apple a day. Like, I'm fucking fine. But am I sad? Yes. Can you do anything about it? No. Can you? Does your sympathy help me? No. And I, but but that's very individual to me. I think. But it's very personal. That's the thing. Like I'm I putting a picture of myself and sitting in the back of a club going today is a shitty day, but I went to this rock show anyway, leave me alone. We would like to say thanks to keeps for sponsoring this episode because losing your hair sucks and two out of three guys will experience hair loss by the time they're 35 keeps is the easiest and most affordable way to keep the hair that you have. These FDA approved products used to cost so much, but now thanks to keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes now and starting at just 10 bucks per month, you will never have to worry about hair loss again. Because getting started is so easy. It takes, like I said, less than five minutes. You answer a couple questions, snap some photos of your hair, and then a licensed physician reviews your information online and recommends the right treatment for you. And then it's shipped right to your door every three months. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. Some of you probably tried them before, but you've probably never gotten them for this price. It's only 10 to 35 bucks a month, depending on what you get. And plus, now you can get your first month for free. One heck of a deal for getting to keep your hair, eh? So to get that free month, go to Keeps, K-E-E-P-S, keeps.com slash roadwork. That's keeps.com slash roadwork, and you'll get a free month of treatment. So go check it out. Keeps, hair today, hair tomorrow. Thanks, Keeps. It's, you know, I'm not 10 years old. Like, I recognize that it's funny. I'm being funny. Like, it's ridiculous for me to be sitting in the back of a rock club and in a bad mood and not wanting anybody to talk to me. Mm -hmm. There's something hilarious about that, and that's what I'm... That's what I'm promoting. There's something hilarious to me. Go ahead. I was saying that's what you're, that's what you're going for. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous somewhat to be like sadness, feeling excluded, feeling, you know, like feeling catastrophic. Like there's if we cannot find something also funny about ourselves, then we really are in, in danger. And, Mm -hmm. And even at my darkest, darkest time, I always understood that I was ridiculous, that life is ridiculous. 
that it's all ridiculous and 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 that is depressing but it's also funny it's funny like a like a pratfall and i and i have to say i put a picture of myself and said i'm in this club and i'm project i'm totally telegraphing unapproachability and 15 minutes later a guy walks up to me shows me my own photo on his phone like interrupts me when I'm talking to somebody. Yeah. Sits sits down next to me and goes, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, shows me this same picture that I just posted. And he yeah. said, my friend in Tuscaloosa or whatever texted me to tell me to come over and say hi to you. And I was like, tell your friend hi. And he's like, okay, great, man. You know, high five. And, <laughs> and walks away. And I was like, wow, sure. Of course, like that's ludicrous, right? And, <laughs> and, you know, and like that's the type of thing I think that Merlin or any number of other people would be like, I just said, don't bother me. Like Will Wheaton would write uh, 2,000 words on it. <coughs> but I recognize that that's hilarious. And it's also like nationwide, right? There's the, the person that sent that text to his friend knew his friend was going to be at that show. He's fully, he's thousands of miles away. Like that's a pretty good prank. Uh (laughs) So anyway, I'm, I, I identified this as something that was, uh, you know, specific to me in, in this situation, which is like, hello, it's me. Today is not the best day. I am not kind of like, you know, there are people that are way more famous than me, like beautiful women who post pictures of themselves without makeup on periodically and say, this is the real me. Don't be fooled. You know, here's a magazine uh, shoot of me that's been photoshopped and here's the real me side by side. So you can, you know, they're trying to say to people, the the life you see on the internet is not real. Right. Remember that. Right. Don't get depressed. And, you know, and I guess I'm doing a smaller scale thing like that. Like, I am not always 100% confident. I am not always 100% fun. Please do not send me your condolences. Please do not ask me if I'm okay. But it's, you know, but it's, uh, it's fruitless. And I think part of it is that people do care about me and... They feel and that and that feeling of powerless when someone else is sad, where it's like I want, I just want to do something. I just want to take away your sadness. I just want to tell you that you're loved. I just want to make it better. And so they, it's almost irresistible. Even when you've said a thousand times, like I know that's what you want, but by your efforts, you cannot accomplish what you want. Telling me that I am loved does not make me feel better. It just doesn't. It's incapable of it. Telling me, putting your hand on my shoulder and rubbing my back is not an effective medicine for depression. Mm-hmm. It may be an effective medicine for disappointment. Mm-hmm. Like if I, you know, like if I tried to hit a home run and I struck out and that was and and my team lost, and I'm sitting there with my head in my hands. Yeah. Like putting a hand on my back and rubbing it and saying it's okay. You know, you did your best. You're going to be fine. That's effective or can be. 
for disappointment. It's effective for stress, I think. If you're like, how am I ever going to make this, you know, how am I ever going to balance my checkbook by the end of the week? And that hand on the back and the and the soft voice is effective. But if you, in my experience, are sitting there going, things are pointless and I am a garbage person. Mm. Someone saying, I love you and a lot of people love you and you're going to be fine and life is life is good and god and the bible like those things do not help they are in some ways even more alienating because depression and mental illness are not logical and they are not following along with like they are not equivalent to disappointment they're not in the same universe. And so a person sitting there with their head in their hands looks the same, I guess, as like, I didn't, I struck out. And just saying to them, but you're, you're a great person and the rest of your life is great. It's like, oh, it works. But if you're sitting there with your head in your hands and it's because your mind is telling you that everything is pointless and it is hopeless, boy, other people do not help with you know, with encouragement, right? So this week, earlier this week, I felt I felt that monkey on me. Mm. And you know, I'm I've been taking Lamictal for three years now. And in the months prior to starting Lamictal, that Monkey was on me always. Right. And it had been for a decade. And I started taking this pill and the monkey was gone and hasn't been back. And that's not to say that I haven't had ups and downs or been sad or felt that things were hopeless, but that, you know, that weight, that monster has been gone. And now the monster was back. But. I was taking medicine. How could I had, I believed that the, that the medicine excluded the monster. Right. Right. Like it shouldn't be possible for it to come back. Right. Like this thing that you've trusted, you almost feel in a way betrayed because it was like, there was this guarantee that this thing that's supposed to work should just work. And it's been working even through, I'm guessing, lots of other situations that you were in that might have triggered something for you in the past, right? And that this time, now, it has failed you. You have been, you have been failed by something that you had invested your trust into. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm in a relationship with that medicine. Right. Now... The use of the word triggered is interesting because I never felt triggered into depression. Hmm. Depression was a constant companion. And what happened in the outside world, what happened to me, was largely irrelevant in terms of whether or not I was depressed. Like the depression is resistant to outside influence. It's its right. own um it's its own terrain. You know, it feels much more like a 
like an environment than it does a thing that like, oh, something bad happened and now I'm triggered and I feel bad. Like it's a, uh, it's other, it's otherworldly. And it came on so fast this time that I was able to recognize it as a state. It did not do its normal thing, which is seep in under the doors at like a, like a special effect in a scary movie where it's like, Oh, here comes the, here comes the, the like sentient gas that's going to come in and, and make everybody in the house a madman. It just was there. It was there and it was there like in strength. It wasn't a tinge of it. Mm. It was just like <clears throat> the cloud came in, the fog came down, the, um, the hopelessness spread out and it right. wasn't, it didn't feel, uh, like it was on the like it was on scale. Like I'm having trouble selling my house, and and that has a that has a uh, reverberative effect, right? That means that I can't walk my daughter to school. That means that I am tied to my car. It means that I don't get a new life. I don't get to live in a in a in a in a place where I my junk isn't cluttering up my soul, and I. And I, I've, I've invested all this stuff in these ideas. Like I'm going to start walking every day and that's going to get me into better health and the, my strength will come back and my, and I'll have vitality in middle age. All of it, all of these, I had, you know, done a dumb thing, which is tie all these things to this house event. And so, yes, the outside uh, viewer can see, oh, so not selling your house throws all of your all of the dreams that you mistakenly put in that envelope, now they're all in question. So of course you're depressed. But no, depression is not a thing like that. It's not in response to my environment, really. It is not a thing that that felt appropriate ever. And so, yeah, I, but in and also in the past three years, I've had things that have thrown my whole life uh like a kilter, but I never felt depression. I felt bummed. I felt mad. I was, I was all bunched up about it, but I didn't feel that fog. And here it came and it felt, you know, the, to use the word dangerous is also wrong because it implies that I am that I have a Scott Hutchinson level of vulnerability where things aren't going to go right. And I'm just going to go walk off a bridge because I've been suicidal all these years. And I'm just not, I don't have any, I don't have self harm in me in that way. My self harm always takes the form of substance abuse or sex addiction or something, but not, I don't, I don't, uh, despise my physical form. I don't want to leave this world. I don't think that, I don't think the world would be better without me. I do abuse myself, but that abuse is more to like trying to f experience feelings, trying to feel something, I guess. Right. Okay. So feeling that fog, boy, it didn't feel, it felt dangerous to me, but not dangerous in the way that I would say online in order to 
get a bunch of are you okay texts. It felt dangerous in the sense of like, yeah, that my medicine was betraying me. And if that is true, then I don't feel, you know, like I feel unsafe or shabby, uh, you know, like, um, again, not unsafe in that I'm going to hurt myself, but unsafe because I don't have very many safe places. Right. That this was, have. this was that thing that you had that you could trust that you could rely on. That was your rock. It would be there when you need it. And you already are going through a thing where the, the place that you have called home for a long time is now been, I mean, I, it would be dramatic to say it's been pulled out from under you because you were involved in the decision. But the fact is that that thing that I would think it would give any normal or abnormal person a sense of security is that their home, their dwelling, their environment that they have some kind of control over is been taken away or removed or isn't there anymore. And it's not like you're on a trip Right. It's not like you're like, oh, yeah, I'll go stay in a hotel for a week or two. Like, that's fine because, you know, the house is still there and the medicine still works. And now the house right. isn't there and the medicine doesn't maybe work. Right. So it's like the two things <laughs> that you had that, that were in your back pocket that you could say, well, you know, this hotel room may suck, but like I got the house back there. I can get through a few more days of this. And now sure. the end result isn't that you're going to just go back there. The end result maybe you'll never go back there. And right. now the medicine I mean, doesn't work. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'll never, maybe there won't be another house. Maybe now right. I'm just living in the forest. Right. And, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. Like, because depression always felt in a way almost geographical, it was a place I was. It didn't matter where I was. It was, I was in this place also it was an overlay the the medicine also i guess was a geographical place for me somehow i was now in the medicine and to be out of it was uh yeah really contributed to the placelessness but also i was just fucking depressed there wasn't again these things aren't why i was depressed these things are things I'm thinking about, but now within a context where my mind is telling me different things yeah. and, 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 and like noticeable, noticeably different and like things that are the opposite of what I was, what I was telling myself just days before and, and but not, not strangers to me, very familiar so the other day I went to the dentist, which I hate doing. Yeah. Uh, and not just because I hate the dentist like other people, but like I've had real problems with my mouth for decades. I have this front tooth that goes in and out all the time and a, and a permanent solution to it continues to elude me. I've never felt like I've had a dentist that was a good project manager. Right. The dentists are all like, well, we fixed your problem and you really should look into doing a better job. And I'm like, well, here I am, dentist. Like, tell me what I should do. And they're like, well, you should really make some decisions about what to do and then tell us and we're just the mechanics here. We'll just, we'll do the work you tell us to do. And I'm like, that's not what I need. What I need is a dentist that has a vision and is going <laughs> to help me 
get a better mouth, a healthier mouth. And they're like, okay, well, you know, we can give you some recommendations to go to some specialists. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I need a project manager. I need somebody to help me. And years have gone by and I'm, I'm not sure why I, why I haven't found a different dentist in a way. I mean, I like my dentist and, and she's a member of my community even right, like right. she's a, she's would be a social friend and she's very good. And she is the dentist for a lot of my friends, but as a, for, as a project manager and her team of, of, um, of ladies who are all great and super wonderful and do a wonderful job, uh, you know, they say, well, we're going to call this person on be on your behalf. And then they don't. Or they're, you know, we're going to forward this to somebody and they're going to help you and that doesn't happen. And then six months go by and they send me a thing like, we haven't seen you in a while. Come in for a cleaning. And I'm just like, that's not where we were when I left. When I left, (laughs) you were talking about, you know, whether or not I was going to get an implant or see a dental surgeon or get a bridge or whatever. And now six months have gone by and you're like, come in for a cleaning because it came up on their computer. Right. And... So I went to the dentist and she put a fake tooth back in the front and we talked again about a bridge. And I said again, like, I really don't, we talked about this six months ago. Nothing happened. I called the number you told me to call. They told you, or they told me they needed to talk to you and they would call me back. They didn't call me back. You didn't call me back. I hate my mouth (laughs) and I hate all talk about it. So it's not like I wake up every morning with this on my list. And again, it's like a, it's a, a, it's a universe difference because it's very hard for people that wake up in the morning and go down their list of 10 things to do and check them off to understand what life must be like for someone that doesn't even have a list. And so they say, well, just this at the top of your list and do it in the morning. And, and if, and then you're going to sit on hold for a half an hour and then get disconnected. And so don't, you know, don't let your enthusiasm flag for following up on this thing that is going to result in a lot of pain and suffering for you. Get up in the morning and do it again with a cheerful heart. And for them to imagine what it's like to get somebody in the chair whose mind is telling them nothing matters, <clears throat> your, you know, your mouth is never going to get better. Um, <clears throat> and yet I still need this work done. Right, I I mean, for ten years I've walked around with a missing tooth in the front. Right, and and my inner voice has been telling me whatever, fuck it, who cares? But but another voice in me is like, you need to care more. Like you need to take an active hand in how you live and work and and. Um, and in your health and in your well-being. And so I go to I go to professionals and I say, "Will you help me?" and they go, "Sure, absolutely. You know, come in for a cleaning." And I'm like, "No, I guess I didn't say it right. I need I need you to put this on. I mean, if you're getting up in the morning and have 50 things on your to-do list, can you just put this on there too?" And and maybe that's a relationship that people like me need to institutionalize with people like her or, you know, list makers. And I, I see it in my life all the time. There are people around me that are like, I love to fill out forms and do lists. And I, they actually say that I'm not, it's not an exaggeration. There are lots of people that feel like 
There's nothing better than just going down a list and checking it off. It gives them a great feeling. Right. And they don't, and it's, and the work of calling somebody and asking them for a refund or going online and finding plane tickets for the upcoming trip, none of that seems hard to them. It just is part of just a, it's just the kind of work that just gets done. And what's hard for them is other stuff. You know, I don't know what. Oh, wow. A bald eagle just flew by. Oh, nice. Um, what's hard is other stuff. And I don't know what that stuff is. Pick, deciding what color uh, the walls should be or or hanging up paintings and certainly like going to meetings and uh, or giving a speech or whatever. And so in my relationships with them, at one level of geography, they go, look, I'm good at these things. You're good at making art or whatever it is. So let's have a division of labor. And I go, that sounds great. You do the things like get plane tickets and call up credit card companies for refunds. And I will fill our house with music and, um, and fun. And we'll, we'll do interesting things and, uh, and will and conversation will be interesting. Uh, I don't know what else, else I can add, but other things, you know, I like bring a lot to the room and they go, great. You know, that's all stuff that I'm not good at. But then what they do is they get the plane tickets one time, they call up the thing, they call they get a refund from the credit card company once. And then they say, see how easy it is. All you have to do is just do that. And they put the list in front of me. And they go, all you have to do is just, here, I made a list. All you have to do is call these people. And I go, no, 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 no. That's (laughs) impossible for me. It really is. I would rather lose $10,000 than call that credit card company. I would rather not go on the trip than make these plane reservations. They are, it's just some, I mean, let me just compare it to like, if I handed you a guitar right now and said, it's really easy, here are the chords, now go up and play a show in front of 800 people, you would say that you can't. You would say, no, I can't. And it's not, you know, and it's, it's not a, a, an ineffective comparison because just as you have not spent 20 years learning to play the guitar and sing, I have not spent 20 years learning how to make this list checkoff business uh, uh, fun or easy. Like it just, I, it, I shut down every time somebody, you know, every time it's like, you need to call the doctor. I go, or I don't call the doctor and just die young. And they go, that's, yeah, that's crazy. All you have to do is just call the doctor. And I'm like, right. Or die young, right? That is another option. So technically it is, it's probably just not not the one that, that most people think you would go for. But it's certainly an option and yeah. it is, you know, like, so I'm, so I'm always in this difficulty with people from that world because they think they're helping me, I guess, by, by, because they think that my inability to do those things is a kind of disease or it's a kind of thing that I just didn't learn how to do. In the same way that they think that putting an uh, arm on my shoulder and telling me that I'm loved is a is an antidote to depression, they think that you know giving me the phone number of the doctor's office is it, that was the problem. Like I didn't have the phone <laughs> number or something. Right. 
And so it always becomes a domestic problem because at one level we have a conversation and we agree like, oh, there's a division of labor. I'll do this stuff. You do that stuff. But then along the way, a couple of weeks in, they start to feel like all my stuff is fun and all of their stuff is work. And I say, well, wait, 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 wait. First of all, you said that that stuff that is work was fun and easy for you to do. So, so I mean, I recognize it's not fun, but you were saying like, it's fun. It's you just do it. And then you're also saying that the stuff that I do isn't work. And the stuff that I do is work. It feels like work. It's, it's exhausting and it, and it required that I, that I learn how to do it and practice it and be good at it. And it earns me money. So it's not fun in the sense, I mean, I, I made some choices where the things I do are like native to me. It's natural for me to, I, you know, Dan, like I do, I do five podcasts a week where I wake up and I sit down, I hook up my microphones and I sit and I talk to a friend about stuff and I never get tired of doing it. I never wake up in the morning and go, oh, God, I got to talk to Dan today. All right, well, get up, pull up your britches. Like, never. I never think, I never, uh, I never dread this. And I never run out of things to say. Right. I never am. That's good. I'm never, I'm never too tired to do it. Because if I am, I just come on and I say, well, am I tired? And you go, what are you tired for? And off we go. We're off to the races, right? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, so whatever kind of domestic accommodation I would ever be able to try and make with someone, it always breaks down almost immediately because they don't, to me, it seems like they aren't able to understand my geography. And all these things that seem simple to them are impossible for me to do. But all the things that I do seem like, oh, that's just, you know, I could, because everyone's an artist, I could do that stuff too, if only I didn't have to go to work and if only I didn't have all these lists to, to check off. Right. Well, so I go to the dentist and she says, you know, we still have this issue and, um, you know, and, I, and it feels more and more like an implant isn't the solution just because it, in order to get an implant, we have to do these 10 other things. And so, um, so maybe we'll get a bridge and I'm like a bridge, like for an old, like an old person. And she's like, no, I mean, most of this work now we do with implants, but bridges are still a totally op, you know, a totally valid option. And I just, am kind of like, I smell a rat. But she says, however, you have two root canals that were done 30 years ago. And they look a little suspect to me. So I'm going to send you over to this lady um, whose specialty is root canals. And she's going to take a look at it. And I say, well, yeah, this is the conversation we had six months ago. You said you were going to send me to the lady. I I called her. She said she was going to call you and call me back, and she didn't. And so if you send me out of the office today with a piece of paper with this lady's phone number on it, um, I do not have any confidence that this is going to happen. And right. so she turns to her assistant and says, call her right now. And she calls over there, and 
the assistant says to me, she can see you in a half an hour. And I'm like, great, I'll go there now. And this is a thing, you know, she's been talking, my dentist has been talking to me about this for a year, going to see this, this magic woman. And now it's happening. And, it, and it's happening because whatever, those people who have, who have staff that sit at desks and do nothing else but make appointments, they figured out a way to say to me, here's when and where to come in now. And I go, I can do it. So I go over there. And the, that dentist lady looks at my uh, x-rays and she says, both of these root canals were very poorly done. Uh, and how long have you had them for? Thir- 30 years. Wow. What? Both of these root Wait canals are very you were poorly getting, done. You were getting root canals in your 20s? Yeah. I've got all three of my front teeth bashed out in a brawl. I remember that. I didn't realize that they... I guess they have to do a root canal for that kind of thing, don't they? Well, yeah. My I always, when I completely. think of a root canal, for some reason in, in my mind's eye, I'm always imagining it's a molar. I don't know why. That's probably not accurate. Right. But like when you say root canal, I imagine like a 2D sort of how how to uh, <laughs> style internet drawing of like a you know a side view of of the tooth, and it's always a molar. Uh-huh. But I guess you're saying that they could do a root canal to any tooth. Uh, to any tooth. Yeah. And and really, it was three teeth in the front that all had been root canaled and then capped because they were all completely bashed out. I was 20. I was, I was 19, 19 or 20 when it happened. And then one of those three teeth, the main one in the front, broke off at the root in 2007 or 8, maybe 2008, uh, at a show in Toronto. And thus began my great saga, because once it broke off at the root, they had to pull the root out. There wasn't anything left to put a crown on. And now I've been walking around this whole time with with that tooth just gone. But its companion teeth are also root canaled. So this new dentist is like, oh, well, we have to redo those 30-year-old root canals. And I'm like, because they have decayed over time? No, no, no. They were badly done then. Mm, so frustrating. I mean, do you believe them? Well, I mean, she's pointing to it and she's like, look, there's, you know, there are these gaps in it. It does, The root canal doesn't go all the way down. It didn't get all the bottom of the root. I'm like, boy, it seems like this would have been, would have manifest in problems. And she's like, well, do you want to wait until it does manifest into problems? Or we can go in there and redo them. So her prescription, when I get up to the front desk of her business, where she has two people whose only job it is to get me in there later, they come up with two dates. And now I have a schedule. Now I have a plan to go get two new root canals and it is going to take two visits because Uh. I'm going to go in, they're going to root canal it. They're going to fill it full of antibiotic or something. And then I'm going to walk around like that for 10 days. And then I'm going to come back in. I'm I'm going to walk around like that. And during that period, I'm also going to go do my friendly fire podcast tour 
And then I'm going to come home and she's going to then fill it up with whatever magic and patch them up. Well, so these root canals do not, they do not benefit me in the sense that I do, I won't come out of this experience, this painful right. and expensive and excruciating sort of like two week affair with any change to my appearance. I will not be, my mouth will not be more stable or more even ready really except this bad work from the past will be this bad work which held me in good stead for decades will now be made better and then the whole question of implant or bridge or whatever else will be you know will be back to square one right but but at least you know uh, will have moved the ball, you know, a, a few yards down the field. So I walk out of the dentist's office and I'm like, <clears throat> great, great, great. I, you know, I, I went to the dentist today to get my tooth put back in and now I have, I've just given myself or they have given me like a ton of extra work and pain. Um, and and i and this depression was already on me and i felt like uh this news wasn't contributing to it the depression but the fact that the depression was there already received that news but now was filtering it through this new slash old way of of seeing the world at any time in the last three years, I would have received that news, you know, un, living within my drug and I would have gone, Oh, that sucks. Like I got to go do this. It sucks. I wish this problem could just solve itself. I with, I wish the UFOs would come down <laughs> and just put me in a Luke Skywalker tank and, give me a robot hand and just fix this fucking problem. So I don't have to keep going back and forth to these, these, um, medieval dentists and their weird cult. And it, it really, there is something culty about them because they get an idea and they, they pass it around to one another and they're like, Oh, this is what we do now. We used to do this, but now we do that. And you go, really? Is this better than that? Oh, well, that's just what we do now. It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I feel like heart surgeons keep moving the ball down the field. I feel like in dentistry there are a lot of lateral passes. <laughs> well, so <clears throat> I love I've never heard that described that way. That's uh that's pretty good. <laughs> anyway, I walk out of this of this office and it's rush hour and I haven't had any food and I get a little Thai food and I go over and I sit in a park and I eat my Thai food out of my container in the park and I go, things are not looking up. I don't know what's happening, but I can't afford to, to go dark right now. Yeah. It's just, you know, because what, what, 
What going dark will mean is that I'll say, I don't care about selling my house, whatever, take it off the market. And the real estate agent will say, well, no, if we just try a little harder, like if we just either take a little less money or we leave it on the market a little bit longer, we'll still sell it. And going dark, that voice would say, who cares? Who cares? I'm never going to find a good place anyway in in, uh, the neighborhood I want to move into. And even if I did, it's all just moving deck chairs around the Titanic. And so just forget it. Just forget it. Just, just turn it off. And if I said that, if I said it today, if I picked up my phone and said, just forget it, like I'm not contractually obligated to anybody. They would push back a little bit. No, 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 we can do this. And if I said, no, just forget it three times, they would just forget it. My house would be taken off the market and I would go back and live in my house. Right. And that would solve a lot of problems. I would not be sitting here in someone else's kitchen. I would be able to pick my own coffee. I would, <laughs> I well, would you be can't, back. You can't have let yourself go through this for nothing though. Well, but that, <clears throat> but my dark voice would say, yeah, everything is for nothing. Like I went through this. It's a learning experience. What it taught me is that everything is shit. I knew that already. And now I'm living in this house. And although I was ready to live somewhere else and that felt good and invigorating, uh, I learned, you know, sort of once again that I don't deserve nice things. And, and I'm sitting in this park eating this Thai food and thinking I need to not, while I'm still sort of clinging to the, to the, um, you know, the way that Beetle Bailey falls off a cliff and there's always some little tree that he hangs onto. I'm clinging to that Beetle Bailey tree. I need to say, I need something else to happen. I can't just surrender to not selling my house because that will begin it. That will begin a landslide of surrender. And so I, I'm sitting there eating my Thai food and I was like, I should just go get in the car and just get back into rush hour traffic and sit there for an hour moving a foot at a time just to, just to go home and just lay on the couch because that's, you know, I'm willing to suffer almost any indignity right now just to get, I'm talking about to my home, just to get to my old house. Right. Just get it back the way it was. Yeah. Just lay on my couch and send some messages to people and say, forget it. But some little voice in my head said, no, you should go for a walk. And so having said it, it seemed pretty logical. And I went for a long walk through a park. And I was sort of enjoying the walk through the park. And I came to the end of the park and there was a one of these peewee base, baseball games where they're, they're um, like kids that are, I guess, about five or six maybe, uh, all genders. And they're out there playing baseball. And, you know, the, a grown-up is pitching, but these kids are getting hits and they're, and they're fielding the ball. Like they're playing baseball, maybe softball, but they're playing, you know, they're playing this American pastime and the grown up is, is throwing the, 
you know, the grown-up is pitching, and it's not like three strikes and you're out, right? The grown-up is going to throw this ball until you get a hit kind of thing. Right. But the, but the game is real. And I watch this game for a while, <clears throat> and then there's a dad throwing a Frisbee with his, like, 12-year-old son, and yeah. they are, and he's really, his son is, like, really into Frisbee, and they're doing a pretty good job of throwing Frisbee. Yeah. And then I was, I, I was walking along, and I got a text from a friend, and they said, are you okay, or whatever it is that people were saying to me at that point. And I was like, whatever, you know, oh, whatever, never mind. And they said, why don't you go to an AA meeting? Because they were also, they're also someone that suffers from drugs and alcohol. And I was like, I haven't been to a meeting in a long time. And they were like, exactly. And so I said, you know what? I will. And I went to an AA meeting and it was one of those ones where everybody in the meeting, it's a big meeting, but everybody in the meeting kind of knows each other. Yeah. And I was an unknown. I was a, I was a floater. Yeah. And, you know, every meeting has floaters too, but like this was one where people were being greeted by name as they walked in type of place, but it was, and it was fine. It was like a speaker meeting. So there were only two people and they told their whole story and their stories were interesting. But you know, the thing about going to AA meetings is you don't get to, you don't get to decide what happens in them. And a lot of times you go and you hear a bunch of stuff and none of it really applies to you. You know, you hear stories and you're like, that person's not really like me. And none of the things that happened to me are, or happened to them or what happened to me. And so didn't really, that didn't really get me out of anything or I'm not walking out of here with a, with a new bag of wisdom, but you still go, you go to those meetings in part because it is, you know, the ritual of it is, is something that you're getting out of it, going to them and recognizing them as safe places where everybody there more or less is wrestling with the same thing. And they understand you in ways that, that, and you understand them in profound ways that, uh, that it doesn't require that you sit and identify with their story. Like you get each other. It's like going to your 30 year high school reunion and realizing I haven't seen a lot of you people in 30 years, but you know me and I know you, we've known each other for 30 years. We may not have seen each other, but I know you, I know you. So I went and it was, you know, it was good. But at the end of the meeting, everybody's standing around and there were a lot of people kind of looking at me like, are you going to stick around? You're like, I'm talking to this person, but I'd like to talk to you if you stick around. And I was like, not sticking around and got out of there <laughs> and got in my car and got out of that parking lot as fast as I could. And then Dan, I, I realized, wait a minute. I haven't really dependably been taking my medicine lately. What do you mean? Well, because I'm living in a strange environment, I have my little bottle of pills, but I haven't been, I don't have my little ritual. I don't, you know, in my, in my house, I went downstairs, I made a cup of coffee. I had my little box of pills 
And as I was waiting for the coffee to brew, I took my pills. And if I forgot to take them, at some point in the day, I would come into the kitchen and I would go, did I forget my pills? I did. And I would take them. So sometimes, you know, I would, generally I would take them at nine o'clock in the morning, but sometimes I'd take them at three in the afternoon, but I would always take them. But in this house with my pills. Does it matter pills, what, like, are you supposed to take them at the same time no, every day? And they generally work, you know, you're just, one of the things about them is you build up an amount of this, of this salt in your body. Right. And it will last, uh, you know, you just need to keep kind of re-upping it, but it's not like it goes up and immediately falls. It's like you're, you're meant to maintain a kind of level of it. But I think in the last few weeks, there have been more than a couple of times where I forgot to take the pill for a couple of days running, maybe long, long enough for it to drop out of your system a little, a little. And, you know, all the medicament people say that that's really dangerous and don't do it because then when you start taking it again, then it's like this, you know, you're, you're getting imbalanced and that's what was happening. Mm. I'd been taking, I would take a pill and then I would go two days without one and then I would remember to take one, but it would be in the afternoon. I'd take it for a day or two and then I would forget again because I just don't have a there's the, I'm super bad at routines and I, I had baked this, take a, make coffee and take a pill thing into my, into my routine at my own house. But at this new house, and honestly, I don't know how many days I went without taking one. I would remember to take one sometimes and be like, Oh, Oh, Oh shit, shit, shit. I bet I got to take my pill. And so as I'm driving home, I'm like, am I just, is this just a medicine issue? Can it possibly be? And I got home and I took a pill at night. And then when I woke up in the morning, I took another one. And then I took one the next day. And when I left the house yesterday, I put one in my pocket and thought maybe at 6 PM I should take one too. And and it will, you know, like, and I'll be replenishing this depleted silo. But by 6 p.m. last night, I felt better. Good. The fog, the, 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 those creeping skeletal fingers were gone. And... It's um, just as it was insane to feel them back, it was just as insane to feel them gone. Because when they're there, they feel eternally true. They feel inarguably so. Mm -hmm. They are they they are describing it <clears throat> an accurate version it, they are depicting life in a way that you cannot argue against when you're under their spell those voices that meant it's not even voices it's not like voices going ba 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 it's like a mentality it's an the mentality is you cannot argue against it 
but to watch it come and go in the space of a week right is just astonishing to me how well first of all how effective this medicine is on me in particular and i know there are people that this medicine doesn't work for but it's not psychosomatic you know it's a when i am under the the thrall of of that mentality i don't want it to go to way, to go away necessarily it feels honest and so you know it just it's so much now more interesting to me more fascinating that the the role that brain chemistry played and continues to play in how I perceive the world and myself, my own place in it, it's nuts. 